Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the prophecy of Shiloh as we pick up in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. We know that Shiloh did come, the peace of Israel did come, even Jesus Christ. And when he came, he said, if you only knew the things that belong to your peace in this thy day, but they are hid from your eyes. The day of his coming as the Messiah, the official day of his coming as the Messiah, his proclamation, as the disciples were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, as he came to the city of Jerusalem, looking over the city that day, weeping over the city, he cried, if you only knew the things that belong to your peace, shalom, till the Shiloh, shalom, come. And so, unto him shall the gathering of the people be, actually he will be the ruler, binding his fall uh, unto him, that is the Shiloh unto Christ, the gathering of the people, binding his fall unto the vine, and his asses colt into the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. Zebulun, the next, shall dwell at the haven of the sea, or towards the sea, and shall be a haven of ships, and his borders shall be unto Sidon. So Zebulun was given that area in the northern part of Israel, portion of which is now Lebanon. Uh, however, he never did take the full portion that was promised. Ishkar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens. And he saw that rest was good, and the land it was pleasant, and he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant unto tribute. In other words, he's strong as an ox, but he's lazy. And, uh, and thus, a characteristic of the tribe of Ishkar was, though they were strong, yet they were lazy, and thus became a servant to tribute. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. The word Dan means judge. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse's heels so that his rider shall fall backwards. Now, Dan, of course, inherited the northernmost part of the land in the area just at the base of Mount Hermon and the area which is today the Hula Valley, which lies between the mountains of Lebanon and the Golan Heights, this valley of the upper Jordan upwards from the Sea of Galilee in this area of Upper Jordan was the area where the tribe of Dan settled, clearing up the ruins of the city of Dan is uh, just about four or five miles from the base of Mount Hermon. So you're clear up in the upper end of the valley. And Dan was a tough tribe and did protect uh, the nation Israel from the attacks of those nations coming down from the north. Now, here in the midst of the whole thing, verse 18, not related to any of the prophecies to his sons, 
Jacob cried, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. The word salvation, O Lord, or translated salvation, O Lord, is actually Yeshua, or the name Jesus. I have waited for Jesus. Yeshua, or the Lord's salvation, or Jehovah's salvation. And so it's very interesting. This is the first mention of the word salvation in the Bible. And its mention is just in the prophecy of Jacob as he cries out. Now, in the midst of his prophesying over his sons, I have waited for Yeshua. I have waited for Jesus, or later Joshua, but Yeshua is the Hebrew word here. And it's translated, thy salvation, O Lord. The tribe of Gad, Gad means a troop, but a troop shall overcome him, and he shall overcome at the last. Gad, again with the Reubenites, took up inheritance outside of the land of Israel, and uh, they were overcome uh, early, but yet the prophecy is in the end they will overcome. Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. And so the baker tribe, those that would go into the baking industry, yielding royal dainties, great pastries. And some of the tribe of Asher are no doubt over there today because, man, some of the greatest bread and pastries you've ever eaten in your life. Naphtali is a hind let loose. He giveth goodly word. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessing of thy father hath prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Joseph separate from his brethren. A beautiful individual, the great blessing that was pronounced upon him. He was a fruitful bough. He would be a fruitful person. Tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh became great and fruitful tribes. A bough whose branches run over the wall. So not only being blessed, but becoming a blessing to others. And though he was to go through great trials and did endure great trials, the archers have sorely grieved him, shot at him, hated him. All of those arrows of hatred and bitterness and jealousy and envy and temptation and false imprisonment and lies shot at him, and yet his bow abode in strength. No retaliation, no striking back. 
willing to commit judgment to God, to whom judgment belongs. Turning the other cheek, his bow abode in strength, and the secret of his strength was that his hands, the hands of his arms, were strengthened by the mighty hand of Jehovah. God was holding his hand. God was giving him the capacity to restrain. His capacity was a, not a natural capacity. It was a supernatural capacity. He was being held by God in restraint. And God can hold us in restraint. I think that we as Christians too often are willing to excuse the demonstrations of our old nature saying, well, that's just me. Yes, that's just you. Curse you. God wants to make a new you. God wants to help you. God wants to strengthen you. And we're not to just live in a peaceful coexistence with our old nature and with our old man. We, by the Spirit, are to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And we just can't pass things off as, well, that's just the way I was born. That's the way you were born in corruption from your parents, but you've been born now by incorruptible seed. You're supposed to be different, and if you're not different, something's wrong with you or wrong with your experience with God because anyone who is truly born of God is going to manifest a changed life and a changed nature. The purpose of being born again is that you might have a new nature, a nature now after the Spirit, no longer after the flesh. That which was born of the flesh is flesh. Crucify it. Renounce it. Learn to hate it. In order that we might live and walk now after the new nature, the nature of Christ, born of his incorruptible seed, I now have a new nature. For if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Everything has become new. And if you're still going around manifesting the old nature all the time and giving way to the old nature and giving place to the old nature, something is definitely wrong with your relationship with God and you need to repent and reckon that old man to be dead. Don't coddle it. So many people are proud of their nasty temperaments, proud of their ability to tell people off. And they've given away so many pieces of their mind, <laughs> there's very little left. Nothing to be a proud of. It's something to be ashamed of. God, forgive me. I reckon that old man, that old nature to be dead. I don't want him. I don't want any part of him. I desire that new nature after Christ, that nature of love and tenderness and forgiving and kindness and compassion. I desire that Christ be formed in me and his likeness within me. And thus give no place to the flesh, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires. And as Christians, unfortunately, too many are making provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires. And you're not really walking after the newness of life in Christ Jesus, walking after the Spirit.
And thus, you are a monstrosity. You're still a spiritual infant, though maybe you trace your born-again experience back some 15, 20, 25 years, you have never developed spiritually. You still don't know how to talk. You still can't walk. You're still there rattling your crib, demanding that people bow and acquiesce to your wishes and your demands, feed you when you're hungry, rock you when you're upset and, and just to take care of you as a little infant and you've never grown, you've never developed. And that's all right for a stage of your Christian experience when you're first coming into Christ and all. That's fine that you be coddled and taken care of and be fed and all, but it's time that you grow up. But spiritual immaturity is a great tragedy. And as the scripture said at the time when you should be actually able to eat meat, you still have need of milk because you've not been able to take meat up till now. And even now, he said, you're not able to bear it. So I still have to feed you with the milk of the word. But at the beginning, you are to desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow. But there comes a time when we grow beyond the bottle itself and we need nourishment other than just the bottle. You need to grow up. You need to renounce the old nature and the old man. And we need to begin to seek that nature of Christ to be perfected in us that we might be what God wants us to be. And so Joseph, the secret of his strength was God was holding him. God will hold you. God will help you. God will give you control. You don't have to be Simeon and Reuben or Simeon and Levi. You can have the control of God. Joseph, blessed, special blessings. The blessings of your father have prevailed. The blessings of the progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They'll be on the head of Joseph. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he will divide the spoil. Benjamin was tough. It was one of the toughest tribes in Israel. They were the greatest fighters. Their career was marked by disaster. They were almost eliminated at one time as a tribe in Israel because of wickedness. All of the tribes of Israel gathered against Benjamin and were scarcely able to defeat them. They were so tough. From Benjamin came the first king of Israel, even Saul. From Benjamin came the great apostle Paul, tough characters indeed, able to endure just far beyond the normal enduring capacity of a person, the tribe of Benjamin. And these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is it, that their fathers spoke unto them and blessed them, every one according to his blessing, he blessed them. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people, 
Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron, the Hittite, for a possession of a burying place. And there they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and there they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into his bed, and he yielded up his spirit and was gathered to his people. So this was his dying act. This pronouncement of the future of his sons. And then even as he had told Joseph, swear to me, you'll bury me, not in Egypt, but back in my own land. And Joseph swore. Now he's demanding the same thing from his sons. He's saying, look, bury me back there in the cave that Abraham bought, where I buried Leah. I want to be buried by her. Put me back there. It is interesting that the love that he had for Rachel, that he didn't desire to be buried in the tomb of Rachel that still existed near Bethlehem. But bury me next to Leah, actually, there in the cave of Machpelah. And having said this, the old man pulled his legs back up into bed, and that was it. He was gone. And Joseph fell upon his father's face, and he wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were fulfilled for him, for so are the days which they take to embalm them, and the Egyptians mourned for him for 70 days. Now embalming processes took 40 days, and the period of mourning in Egypt for a great person was 70 days. And so they fulfilled the traditional things. Now, it would be interesting if you could find the cave of Machpelah, because though you wouldn't find any remains of Abraham and Isaac and their wives, you should find a coffin and the mummified body of Jacob still existing there. And, and so it would be interesting if, if you could come across the cave of Machpelah and go down in and see the mummy, Jacob, because of the embalming of Egypt, he would be preserved like King Tut and, and some of the others who were embalmed by the Egyptian arts of embalming. Also, Joseph was embalmed, so you ought to be able to find Joseph, too. And that is, if you're interested in looking for mummies. <laughs> One thing you'll never find, that's the body of Jesus. And when the days of his mourning were over, Joseph spoke to the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, my father made me swear, saying, Lo, I'm going to die. And in my grave which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father according as he has made you to swear. Now, though he was buried in a cave, and they didn't need to dig the grave that way, 
Yet in these caves, they dug niches in the walls. And uh, they, they would lay the bodies in these niches in the walls. If you've been to the catacombs in Rome, you've seen it there. The niches in the walls uh, that they have dug out for the bodies. And the same is true in Israel. There are caves uh, right up at the top of the Mount of Olives, just below the Intercontinental Hotel. There is an interesting burial cave there. And all of these niches uh, in the wall of the cave that they dug out for the various people who in times past were buried in them. And so he had dug out his own niche. And so that's what he means in, in, the, in the grave which I dug. He had dug out his niche in this cave when he dug out Leah's niche. He probably no doubt dug out his own niche to be buried by her in the cave. And so Joseph is, is now asking the Pharaoh for permission. And, and of course, they at this time have become an important part of the whole uh, Egyptian prosperity. And, and the Egyptians probably did not want them to leave at this point. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 49-50 through 50 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord give you a beautiful week a fellowship with Him as you walk with the Lord in the light of His Word. And may you just experience more and more the love of God and the grace of God as His Spirit works in your heart, the Spirit of grace and supplications. God bless you and keep you in the name of Jesus Christ. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The 1960s became one of the most colorful periods in American history. The counterculture was dropping out and turning on. The Summer of Love was the stage for many dramas of change. And the most popular musical group in the world was singing, All You Need Is Love. But one man in Southern California was reaching out with the answer, and the truth began to set people free. 
author and pastor Chuck Smith began to share the love of Jesus Christ with a generation that was looking for love in all the wrong places. Now some 40 years later, the gospel of love is still changing lives. In his book simply titled, Love, The More Excellent Way, Pastor Chuck Smith expounds upon the love that can change your life now and forever. For more information on how to obtain your copy, visit a bookstore nearest you or call 1-800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org. That's thewordfortoday.org.